Pilot Boys in the building. Welcome to the Pilot Boys podcast, where you'll get the real on all things sports, music, pop culture, and current events. I'm Mecca Don here with my co-host V. The NFL is here. The NBA Finals are here. College football is here. Let's pray that they all stay here. That's right. That's right. Today is October 8th, 2020. Thank you guys for tuning in. I know you can be anywhere in the world, but you're here with us. We're quarantined and social distancing due to the pandemic, but we're still going to figure out a way to bring you a show at all costs. On today's show, we have a special guest. We have Zach Smith from Menace to Sports to talk to us about everything related to college football. We even talked some fantasy football with him, and we talked some Joe Burrow and Dwayne Haskins breakdowns as well. We also have news and notes, and we talk about everything on news and notes today from the coronavirus and Trump, uh, Cam Newton, 21 Savage and Metro Boomin, Chris Rock and Megan Thee Stallion, the Browns, America's new team, and obviously the L.A. Lakers and Jimmy Butler, who's trying to put a stop to what they're trying to do. Shout out to our Patreon subscribers. Remember now that our $5 and up Patreon subscribers will get our episodes on Wednesdays a night early. These donations help keep our show going. If you want to help keep us on air, you can donate at www.patreon.com forward slash Pilot Boys Podcast. Don't forget to grab some wristbands and some face masks at shop.pilotboys.com and be sure to leave us a five-star rating and comment on Apple Podcasts. Let's go. Where the Pilot Boys at? You listen to the Pilot Boys podcast with guest Zach Smith Sports. Zach, thanks for joining us on the show. How you doing? I'm good, man. Always a pleasure. Looks yeah. like you're wearing those long sleeves too now. It's getting a little hey. chilly around the house. It's hoodie season, man. I'm over <laughs> here trying to get my rotation right. Like it's, Hell yeah. it's that time of year. Hell yeah, man. I'm, I'm a little under the weather too with this weather changing. So I, I understand. We, uh, we've been, I guess, blessed to be able to watch some football while we're waiting for the Buckeyes to play. Um, it's been, there've been some kind of obvious things, right? Clemson has still been good. Bama's still been good. And there've been some surprises, I guess you can say, uh, mostly in the big 12, uh, <laughs> and not, and maybe that surprises to us, but let's start with Bama though, because, you know, Bama is one of those teams that I think we we appreciate, um, but they're like the Patriots, right? It's like you expect them to be good every year. So sometimes you don't talk about them in your preseason shows. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And then all of a sudden by week two, week three, you're like, oh, shit. But when you didn't talk about them, you're like, all right, here, here, they, here they go again. Are they special? When, from what you see, are, are they special this year? Man, they um, look they look really special. Yeah. Um, is, I think this is one of their best teams they've had. And mm-hmm. and p- people, I've been on the, the Mac Jones train lately um, because he, he's just playing outstanding. I mean, he's mm-hmm. not he's not going to win the Heisman. He's not going to do anything extraordinary, but he right. doesn't have to. They yeah. have a run game. They have freaks at receiver. They have a great yeah. defense, great secondary. I mean, they're, they're loaded. Yeah. And yeah. as this all plays out, I really see it as Bama and then – a step down is Florida and Georgia, and then like seventeen steps down is the rest of the conference. <laughs> right, it's just, right, just what right. it is. And yeah, people people were calling him kind of just uh, that that McElroy or, or just that kind of role player quarterback, and he's showing that he's not. I mean, he's playing yeah. phenomenal. Yeah, and that's, and that's the thing about Bama that's so scary is like, you know, it's 
it's also culture, right? And we talked about this before, right, on, on a different show. It's like they have a culture of winning. So it, it's not – you're never surprised when they're good, right? It's not like, right. oh, they, they came out of nowhere this year. You know, it, and Nick Saban is going to figure out a way to do it. If they have a quarterback that's actually competent, and this has always been Bama's thing for the last, I'd say, decade, if they have a quarterback that's actually competent uh, or above competent, you're in yeah. trouble. You're in trouble because yeah. they're going to have studs at every other position. And and, I, and and like you said, this is probably one of the better teams like that you see early on, right? Like when we watch Bama yeah. early in the season, we watch their games and we say we see them beating teams that they should beat 56 to 0, 35 to 21, like it seems like this team is like from the outset is like, this is our season. We're here to win a national championship and we're not going to have any growing pains this season. We're ready to ready to go from the first game to the last game. You know what? It, it, you're seeing it all across the country, right? Now, granted, Missouri wasn't a great team. Texas A&M was a good team. Yep. And, and most of these schools that are used to kind of that three game uh, preseason, right? They're mm -hmm. used to that. They're used to making those mistakes, getting them corrected, kind of navigating those three games. And it doesn't really matter how bad you play because you're going to win. Mm -hmm. And so by game four, and we're not even at game four in the SEC, but by game four, you're kind of like, all right, this is our team. Mm -hmm. And now we now we can roll through the gauntlet. Well, the problem is some of these teams, it was gauntlet day one. Yeah. And so you're seeing Bama run through their preseason and they look better than anyone. And yeah. so it, it's just Speaking a the, testament to Nick Saban, you know, yeah. it's a testament to how he runs his program. Yeah. And, and that's the thing, too, because it's not. And that's why I mentioned culture. And, and you, yeah. you were spot on with that, because it's not just about recruits, because Georgia, Auburn, all these a lot of these schools always have good recruiting classes. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. not just about that. It's also about the culture you create. And speaking of Georgia and Auburn, Georgia smacked Auburn down. Is that is Georgia good? Is Auburn bad? What, what was your analysis of that of that game? Um, so I think what what reared its head was the fact that Georgia finally has a dynamic playmaker in Kyrus Jackson. Mm, and yeah. I, I've talked about him before last year, before last season. He was going to be a freshman. I said it's, it, he wasn't going to be an impact player, but I recruited him. I mean, I recruited mm. him hard. I evaluated him hard. And he was never leaving Georgia, but I just had to because I thought he was that good. Yeah. And you're, you're seeing it now. He just dominated Auburn on Saturday. Right. And, and, and their quarterback is functional. You know, yeah. he's functional. Um, we'll see what happens with JT Daniels when he's healthy, if he comes in and, and becomes a kind of a better version of the kid they have playing now. But their defense is legit. I mean, they're 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 not missing tackles. They're they're they have great coverage. Tyson Campbell's one of the best corners in the country. Um, so I love I really I won't say I love Georgia, but I really like Georgia. Yeah. On the other yeah. side of that is Auburn is not a good team. Mm. Bo Nix is not a good quarterback. But mm -hmm. and, and I talked about it after their week one. He didn't play well in week one. Their team didn't yeah. play well. They showed so many leaks in their boat, so many cracks in their foundation. I don't think Auburn is – I think they're the third at best team in the SEC West. So I don't think that that was as much like Georgia beat the heck out of a great team. I think it was Georgia's pretty good and Auburn is not. Right. And that's just the reality of it. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and switching gears to the really, really, really bad, right? It's like, we got to get to a point where we, I think we're going to have to stop talking about this conference at this, during this season at some point. The Big 12, Oklahoma lost again. Texas lost um, to TCU, I think again. I don't think, yep. I think TCUs might be the best team in Texas now. Um, uh, right. What is, and, and Mecca keeps reiterating through our programs, culture 
it's not a talent issue at Texas. We know that for sure. It's not a t- talent issue at Oklahoma. Is it with with Texas? Is it is this strictly about the coach and the culture? And at Oklahoma, are we starting? Were we jumping on the Lincoln Riley is the next goat coach conversation too early? Well, I mean, you you can't discount Lincoln Riley's resume over the last whatever four years, right? Five years. I think the reality is this is just a letdown year. They don't have the same talent at quarterback that they used to have. They don't have the same talent at receiver that they used to have. They don't have three running backs that could start anywhere. They don't have that anymore. And their defense is, I won't even call it improved. It's about the same as last year. So that's a recipe for disaster. The offense is not helping a defense that needs help. They're not scoring, uh, you know, outlandish points that the defense needs them to score. And so it's just, it's a down year for Oklahoma. And that's, I thought so going in. I don't know why people were so hyped on him, but I, I didn't see it. I mean, this, this kid, Spencer Rattler is a talented kid, but what, what good is that? How many mm-hmm. talented quarterbacks come out that just maybe aren't ready or aren't as good as you thought they were, you know? Right. And you get to Texas, boy, they are a train wreck. Yeah. An absolute train wreck. <laughs> and it's, it starts from the top down. Yeah. And, and, and I think I'll throw a couple things at you. First of all, their defense, Urban Meyer said it, it was the hire of the offseason, best hire in college football to hire Chris Ash. Love Chris Ash. He's a phenomenal football coach, but he ain't fixing that defense in, in a coronavirus nine months, right? right. It's just not happening. Mm-hmm. They have they have two guys on my show that I'm I'm gonna it's gonna go out later today. Two guys that are in my like uh, not player of the weeks, like not top ten, <laughs> yeah. I guess you would call it. They they have a corner. I, I'm gonna read you the stat. Chris Adamora. He's one of their starting corners. He's the most targeted corner in the United States of America this oh, year. Yeah. Every team lines up and says, I'm throwing it that guy. <laughs> it's it's unbelievable. And then they have a linebacker, DeMarvian Overshawn, who has more. He almost has double missed tackles than anyone in the country. He has 11 missed tackles this year already. Wow. And so you're dealing with that. On, co- on, that seems like coaching to me, right? Because these are obviously talented oh, kids, right? Absolutely. It's coaching. Yeah, and yeah. and I'm not going to I'm not going to give uh, put all the blame on Chris Ash. The the Big 12, traditionally, every defense is terrible at tackling. Don't ask me why. Maybe they don't know how to tackle. They don't work on it. I don't know what it is because I've never coached in the Big 10. I've never seen it. It's always been like that. And so Chris Ash was hired to fix that, right? Right. He didn't have spring ball, didn't have summer workouts, had a kind of a BS preseason. So, I mean, Chris Ash is definitely deserves some blame, but this is a bizarre year to try to fix a defense, right? Yeah. 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 Another thing that Urban said in that uh, on Fox was he's like, look, this isn't a player issue and where coaching comes in is not so much in, are you just a good X's and O's coach, right? When you're, when you're bringing in players from high school, no matter how talented they are, you have to develop them. And he said, the reason that I know Texas has a lot of room for improvement is that you go and look at the NFL draft and how many players yeah. from Texas translate to the NFL. And the truth is that not a lot of them, they're not as many as used to are anymore. So you've been in a program that values development. Tell me why it is, why so many coaches and so many programs with all the facilities, all the tools to properly do this, don't do it properly. It seems very basic to bring your players in and develop every aspect of your player. Yeah, I mean, it seems basic, but but there's just some coaches that are so much better at it than than most. You know what I mean? I mean, you look at the upper echelon of, of college football, and I always point to Nick Saban and, and Urban Meyer and now Ryan Day. I mean, they just 
that is what they did. And, 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 and it comes down to culture. You know, they, they instill this culture of doing the extra work, putting in the time and the commitment, prioritizing what's important. Right. And so I, I know Tom Herman has some interesting personal priorities, so I can't imagine he's great at driving a culture. Right. Yeah. And, and, and you look at other things like Ryan day and you could put Lincoln Riley, right. They are considered quarterback gurus, like developing quarterbacks. Cause that's the position, right? That's yeah. the position where you, you sink or swim, right? You live or die. Yeah. And you look at what Lincoln Riley's done. You look at what Ryan day's done. Then you look at what Tom Herman's done. He's got Sam Ellinger supposed to be this Heisman, uh, hopeful that we're back Sam Ellinger, right? And yet he had King too. Right. Yeah, Houston. Right. And so you look at it and you're like, all right, what has he done for Sam Ellinger? You look at this loss this past weekend. Sam Ellinger was awful. Yeah. He com- I mean, and, and people get caught up in stat chasing and Tom Herman and, and, and they did a great job of kind of protecting him and, and giving him some like screens and checkdowns and behind the line throws. But the kid completed 39% of passes that went past the line of scrimmage. 39%. That's yeah. horrific. He was one for four on deep ball. He was 0 for four to his left side. And that's fundamentals. If you look at a guy's completion percentage to different regions of the field, if a guy's terrible to his left, that means you didn't do a good job preparing him to throw to his left. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. If I'm good to my right and not to my left, someone screwed up. Right. <laughs> yeah. And he, yeah. he, he's just not that guy. He's not a quarterback guru. He's not going to develop quarterbacks. And I don't think Urich is either. Yeah. And one thing about culture, too, is that. And I, I realized this over the, maybe the last decade is that if your culture is, and maybe Ryan Day and Lincoln Riley may be an exception to this, but if your culture is what it should be, your players, all of your players are probably wanted to transfer at some point, right? Oh, they, absolutely. Because they, they hated that shit. And then they, they're happy they stayed and, you know, they fought through it and it worked out. But it's, it's grueling. It's grueling. Yeah. That, that, oh. to, to be at that top that consistently, it's got to be a grueling culture, just like New England, right? It's like people, they go. They don't necessarily like it, but they appreciate it, right? Yeah, and yeah. I think, and that's kind yeah. of uh, why, why I'm very happy about about Ryan Day. I feel like he's found even a, a balance where they can feel it grueling, but they can also enjoy it at the same time. And and the same and and the same is true for us as Ohio State fans. I know we're all excited about the Ryan Day era. But going to your point, like Zach, I know you hated working for Urban. You know, <laughs> many days you hated working for him, but if you look at if you do the work and a lot of the players that have come out have said this is like, yeah, he might annoy you. He might piss you off, but if you do what he tells you to do, you will succeed. And if you look at his record to win 90, 90 some percent of his games at Ohio state, even at a place like Ohio state, we're seeing the difference. Yeah. We lost some games we were supposed to win, but we were never Texas. We were never Florida state and we were never going to be that. We were never going to drop that far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and you know what I think it, it, I will I will I always think about this right. The greatest players that we had at Ohio State, there was not one of them that wasn't relieved and happy to be getting out of Dodge to be going mm-hmm. to the NFL. There right. wasn't one. I yeah. mean Zeke Elliott, all the way to Michael Thomas, all of them. They loved and embraced and appreciated the grind and the development. But when it was time to go, mm-hmm. they were so happy to mm-hmm. GTFO. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it's the same way for coaches. Look at Nick Saban's staff. Guys come in for two, three years, and it's like the crucible of development for coaches, too. And when they're done, they go get a head job, and they're like, whew, right. thank God, <laughs> right, I'm right. out of there. It's like boot camp. Yeah, it's, it's like – That's why they're 0-21 against him. <laughs> right, right. And it's, it's just 
That's just the culture that it is. It's such a high pressure. It's like a pressure cooker. Yeah. And, it, and there's, it takes a very rare individual to survive it. I mean, I was at Ohio State for whatever, six years, and it's like, I feel like I should have a purple heart and, you know, <laughs> and a medal of honor for, for surviving that long. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's talk about, speaking of Ohio State, let's talk about Luke Fickle, man, because uh, Cincinnati is, is, I mean, mm-hmm. I think we all knew when he took that Cincinnati job that in a couple of years they were going to be something. It kind of reminds me of like, you know, a couple of decades ago, with Boise State and, and Utah and those teams that are like, people don't talk about, but you know that they're coming, you know? Yeah. Um, when you look at them, you know, how first of all, how good are they? Some, sometimes it's hard to evaluate teams in that conference. Uh, you know, like when we Ohio State beat them forty-two to nothing, I didn't think Ohio State was going to beat them forty-two to nothing. No, neither and did then I. All of a sudden, it's like, okay, well, maybe they're not as good as we thought. What do you see from them? Well, you know what? I, I so I, I've only watched a little bit of them. I I, I haven't really with the, with the way the the landscape is is I guess turning out to to present itself it's definitely something that i'm going to spend more time on yeah um but but i do know luke fickle and i know the coaching staff and i know that they are operating under a culture like we just talked about Mm -hmm. right he is he has those those same i don't know you want to call you don't want to call them regulations he has those same cultural principles in place Mm-hmm. in Cincinnati and so they're going to be maximized and so I, it'll, I'll be interested to take a deeper look in, into yeah. their film once you know as some of these teams fall off like I'm done watching Texas that's that's over I'm right. done watching right. Oklahoma that's right. over you right. canceled so, 12 yet yeah I, I, nope I'm not canceling okay. Oklahoma State they're my dark yeah. horse man I, right. yeah and I don't love them right now but they got a chance especially yeah. with yeah. how awful the conference is yeah. right I mean they got a real chance but I'm canceling the rest of them yeah, I'm, I'm definitely cancel the rest of them. <laughs> well, bigger picture, bigger picture on Cincinnati it, it, and Luke is really. Do you think is is he going to be there for the long haul? I mean, because when you, it's funny there. You know, people talk about USC and Notre Dame and all these. I don't really know how good those jobs are anymore. Yeah, you know, yeah. historically, theoretically, they were good, but I mean, sometimes it may be better to just stay here, stay there. And you know, they gave him a raise, and they gave Freeman got a huge raise, I think, and he's getting kind of what the resources that he needs. What right. do you see? Here, here, here's the reality of Luke about Luke Fickle. Like, this is not your hot young coach that's making moves left and right. He's not Alex Grinch, where you're mm. jumping every two years to get a better coordinator yeah. job. Like, right. he was at Ohio State because he loved Ohio State. His mm. family loved Columbus. Right. He stayed here forever, bypassed mm-hmm. so many opportunities yeah. until until this one presented itself. Cincinnati in the state of Ohio, like. Mm-hmm everything aligned for him to leave Ohio State, which is something I didn't know if he would ever do. Right. And so now you're looking like, is he really going to move his family to Southern Cal? Yeah, absolutely no, not. He's not. And so I, I, he's one of those rare breeds that I could see just riding it out. He's building a great thing in Cincinnati. He's got little competition, especially in the state of Ohio. He's not recruiting against Ohio State. You know what I mean? And right. it's it's something that I could see him being a, a longtime coach at Cincinnati until well, – until Ohio State opens up, right? <laughs> yeah, and I, and I think you you bring up a good point about Cincinnati, and we've had these conversations offline all the time about how great of a just geographically placed Cincinnati is, right? Yeah, oh yeah. You've got talent in Indiana right across the border, talent in Kentucky right across the border, then the Ohio talent that's not going to to Ohio State. If you get second, if you're second in Ohio in recruiting, you fucking cleaned up because Ohio well, has. 
And look at what's going on right now. Like Ohio, you look at NFL players from Ohio that did not go to Ohio State. Where did they go? You have your outliers that go like uh, Luke Keekley went to Boston College. Like there's a random one here or there. Mm -hmm. The rest of them went to Michigan Michigan State State. and Kentucky. Right. And and maybe Pitt. Right. So now if Cincinnati's cleaning house against Michigan State, probably beating Pitt in recruiting. Mm -hmm. And so now it's a Kentucky-Cincinnati battle, and they got that OH at the end of their city's name. So yeah, it's a great time. And to be honest, I'm going to Cincinnati over Michigan too. So I mean, it's just, it's a heck of a time to be the head coach of Cincinnati with the the state of those programs. Yeah, definitely. All right. Let's talk ACC. You know, obviously that's Clemson, right? Clemson's owned the ACC. You know, Florida state has fallen off cliff. Um, but Miami North Carolina like is ranked somewhere in the top. 15. North Carolina is there, but you know, in terms of who we really, I mean, they could upset Clemson, right? Yeah. So, but but in terms of who we really think, it's really Miami that has, you know, and I don't know if it's hype or or if it's not, um, but they have a chance. I think they play in week six. What are your thoughts on Miami's ability to maybe dethrone Clemson this season? I mean, I, I think if there is a team to do it, it's it's them or North Carolina. Um, okay. I, I'm not ready to say either will do it, but I know this. Clemson had some some chinks in the armor show up this weekend. I mean, they had some blown coverages. The right side of their offensive line was was, was decent. Their their center and left guard kind of were, played a poor game. Travis Etienne had a bad game in pass pro. And what you're seeing at Clemson is this. Clemson has, has made a, a, a living on just a freak show on offense and they mm-hmm. don't have it anymore. They yeah. don't, they have Amari Rogers in the slot, Travis Etienne in the backfield, Trevor Lawrence at quarterback. Now that's a great three headed monster, but that is all inside the hashes. I mean, they, they don't have the outside presence at receiver that they used to have. Mm-hmm. And so I, I don't see that getting better. I'm not in love with the guys, Frank Ladson, Joseph Ngata, um, Cor- uh, Cornell Powell. Like I'm not in love with them as as a dominant receiver. And I think their defense will get shored up. Uh, Brent Venables has always been such a chaotic, schematic defensive coordinator that without that little preseason, there's going to be some like a game like we saw Saturday where they blow some coverages, kind of don't do a couple things wrong and, and it don't look great. But they don't have that outside presence of Sammy Watkins and, you know, the guys that they've had, T. Higgins, Justin Ross, they don't have those guys right now. And so if I don't see something in the next couple games, I think there's a chance for an upset big. And Miami Miami might be the team. I know Miami fans would love to win a real game. Yeah. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah it's, it's big. And I am I like what I'm seeing from Miami. I don't know if it's – I really, really like their quarterback. I, I knew him when I was – when he was in Houston, how special he was. Um and now he's now he's he's I believe that's the same it is the same quarterback, right? From the transfer from Houston. Oh yeah, Derek King. Yeah, yeah. And and, and the good and the good thing is we got four days. We're gonna find yeah. out in four days. I mean, number one versus number seven. This is this is before Ohio State ever starts, we're gonna find out how good Clemson is because they, they they're gonna have to play probably the number one contender in the ACC on Saturday. Yeah. Oh, is that game this Saturday? Yeah, oh, it's, it's, yeah, oh it's, my God. It's, it's Saturday. It's the, big, wow, it's it the first, like, it's the, I think it's the first big game that we're going to, like, everyone's going to be like, this Wait, is what do you mean? Football. Don't Texas and Oklahoma play this week? It's uh, shut uh, up. Uh, <laughs> uh, 
that's so crazy. That game is like meaningless, literally. That's oh, like, like literally in October. That's amazing. That's and you, you look at build clips. a whole fair around that. Uh, right, right. <laughs> and what is it going to be this year? It's going to be like the the local county fair. Right. <laughs> but I, you look at Clemson's schedule; they're so set up for success. I mean they they have Miami on Saturday, and then they they don't have another. I mean, they go Georgia Tech, Syracuse, Boston College. They don't have another real game until Notre Dame on November seventh. Like so. They can really invest everything in this game and then just kind of coast for four weeks and then invest it entirely in Notre Dame and then coast until they play North Carolina. You know what I mean? It's it's yeah, they're set up for success, but at least at least we finally get to see them play a team that might, you know, hit them in the face a couple times. Right. Speaking of speaking of teams, like this seems like the year of the comeback story for programs, right? Um I remember, and and you guys definitely remember, ten to twelve years ago, Tennessee was right up there when you're talking yeah. about football programs. That stadium held more people than anyone, any other stadium. There was a real culture at Tennessee of being an elite program nationally. Are they back from what you see? Are they are they back? Obviously, probably not quite back to that level, but are they back to being a relevant team under this new new coaching staff? Well, you know what? I saw it at the end of last year. So if you remember, they came out and they they lost to Georgia State in the first game last year. Then they lost to BYU and they really struggled early. And then they rattle off what I think it was six straight wins to end the year. And it was like, oh, wait a minute now. Like that's what happens when you hire a new coach, right? You got to blow up the culture. It it might not be pretty at first. Shoot, we almost lost to UAB our first year. We were we were battling Miami of Ohio game one in the third quarter. Like that happens when a program comes in to change the culture. Now Tennessee wasn't as fortunate as we were to have Braxton Miller to kind of save the day. So they so they dropped some games they shouldn't have. But that happens when you're trying to get buy in. And what I saw last year about mid season was buy in. And Butch Jones never had buy in. It was, mm-hmm. I mean, it was a train wreck culture at Tennessee under Butch Jones. And so you, you saw it and it was like, oh, wait a minute now. This Tennessee team looks like they bought in. And that's scary when a yeah. team buys in. And then all of a sudden you parlay that with a little recruiting success. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm, I think Tennessee has a real shot to give Georgia a run for their money as the second best team in the East. I don't know that they're there yet, talent wise and, and program wise. I don't know if they're ready for that yet, but. They're in the conversation. Whereas two mm. years ago, we would have laughed. Like, we'd have been like, why are we talking about Tennessee on the Pilot <laughs> Boys podcast? Right. This so they're is, coming. So like, they're no coming. one's going to listen to this, bro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they're coming. Next few years, they're, they're, they're coming in your mind. They got a chance. They, yeah. and, and we can really go into the details of Tennessee's a hard job. It's a hard job to recruit. You have Southern Tennessee and the state of Georgia. You got to beat Clemson, Georgia, Alabama, everyone for recruits. So it's not an easy job, but they definitely look like they're headed in the right direction. So let's talk Ohio State. Ohio State plays October 24th. It's a couple. Less than three weeks away. Um, we're all excited about that. Hopefully, Corona just, please, Corona, just chill out the fuck out, right? Uh, <laughs> right. But it's interesting when, when you're doing a preview of Ohio State, and I think we talked about this briefly on, on uh, last week's show, you look at where are their potential weaknesses, and you don't really see many. But then, if you had to pinpoint one where there may be some little bit of inexperience, I guess you could say, it would be the defensive line. Which right. I think is, you know, because we're used to the Bosa's, right? We've had Bosa's and Chase Young for the last six, seven years, right? And now, yeah. you know, obviously Zach Harrison is there, supposed to be the successor. But what do you see when you look at that defensive line? Is that going to be, you know, a point of concern in any way? Or is it just, you know, look, let Larry Johnson do his thing? 
you know, I, I think it's I think it's a concern now. That the, and I, I mentioned it last week on the show, I think, is, is when Larry Johnson is trying to answer one of the biggest question marks, you feel good. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, I mean, we played Penn State when he was there. They weren't always elite on the defensive line. He needs mm -hmm. the clay to mold, right? Mm -hmm. Now he has it at defensive end. Zach Harrison's going to be a great defensive end. For, for Buckeye fans that think he's going to be Chase Young this year, you're nuts. You're on drugs. Mm -hmm. Like, no one – I haven't seen a Chase Young, and we've had some generational talents. So right. I think I think he's – and I love Tyreek Smith. I, I think their defensive ends are, are going to be really, really good. I'm a little concerned about defensive tackle. Because Teron Vincent needs to be healthy. He's going to be a great player someday when he is. I was really counting on Haskell Garrett, and I, I don't know the. I mean, I know what happened to him. He got shot in the face. Like that, yeah, that's right. a long. I don't know what the recovery is on that. I've never had right. that in my career. Right. Physical, right? So right. I mean, it, that's it's a concern. And then Antoine Jackson's an unknown. Jerron Cage is an unknown. I mean, there's so many things that are unknown at D tackle, and that's a position that can really hurt you in the run game. Pass mm -hmm. in a pass game, they'll have third down packages. They'll get they have freaks. They have athletic guys at linebacker. They can sub in. Baron Browning will go play DN. Tyreek Smith will move move in to play three technique in passing situations. But it's the run game. How can they stop the run game? And if they're they're uh, weak at defensive tackle, that presents a problem. Yeah. And so I I trust Larry Johnson to get it done. I worry a little bit about the the clay he has to mold if Teron Vincent and Haskell Garrett are out. Tommy Togiai is a guy that, that I think will be a great nose guard, but it, it, there's a lot of unknown. And I'm yeah. not, you know, I I'm, I try to remain unbiased and pretty realistic. And I think right. that's, it is a concern for sure. Yeah. I wanted to ask you one more kind of Ohio State, but NFL related question. Beck and I've had conversations about this. Um, this, this situation that we're seeing play out in the NFL and how um, Joe Burrow is being evaluated. Yeah. versus how Dwayne Haskins is being evaluated um, as as potential NFL caliber. You were there. You saw the QB competition. You've been around both of these guys. Just wanted you to talk about that from a coaching perspective, why Dwayne Haskins is, is struggling and Joe Burrow seems to be thriving or starting um, to thrive. Well, I mean, I I think there's there's several, several layers to it. One, Joe Burrow's in a better – Outside, I mean, their offensive lines are very similar. I don't know if they even play with one. Um, <laughs> outside of that, I mean, Joe Burrow has better talent on the perimeter. I love Terry. Terry is a, a, a monster, and and he would be the best receiver on the, the Bengals also. But outside of Terry McLaurin, who's he throwing the ball to? He has a rookie running back that is promising. I mean, it looks decent for the future if they can. I mean, if they can find offensive linemen anywhere. So I, I think that's. One of the things, Joe Burrow's in a little bit better situation. I think Joe Burrow's a tougher player, just in general. I think he's tougher. He's taking these hits. He's getting up. He's he's doing all these things, and it, it, the uh, the optics are better. Maybe it's like, oh, he's getting just destroyed. And Dwayne's a little bit better getting rid of the ball, where he doesn't get hit like that. So it looks like maybe he's making, uh, he, he's dealing with less issues. So I, I, there's so many layers to it, but I think Dwayne's also getting completely unfair treatment. Uh, one of the guys that I follow on Twitter, who's a big time quarterback development guy, works with a bunch of pros. He put up the stats of three quarterbacks with no name and was like, "Who would you pick?" And and I can't remember the other two quarterbacks, but they're they're pretty common, you know, well thought of quarterbacks in the NFL. And then Haskins had better numbers in every category. And mm -hmm. I'm sitting here like, "Come on, man, put some respect on my guy's name." Like, yeah, yeah, he's not playing great. The team's atrocious. Uh, what 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 do you want him to do? Like I, also got, talked, I think Dan Orlowski, and maybe you you might have quoted this too. I think he like 
I think it was him that showed like a graphic of of kind oh, of like yeah. the spacing yeah. of the wide receivers and like just, like what is he supposed to do? I mean, at some point you got to help him out schematically as well and talent wise. And you trade away you trade away one of the best left tackles in in football, right? Right. <laughs> like you really hang the guy out to dry. But yeah. and, and those are the things where where I think where you could say, all right, this is why Joe Burrow's. Uh, better thought of or, or thought to be playing better than Dwayne is Dwayne's not an athlete. He ain't getting out of anything. He's not mm. extending plays. Not, and that shouldn't be necessary. Mm. How many, how many quarterbacks are right. like yeah. Tom Brady ain't an athlete. He's the worst athlete Ryan, to ever Ryan, put on a helmet. Ryan last Ryan. Right. Last Matt, <laughs> like it, it's embarrassing. So Dwayne shouldn't have to be an athlete. Joe Burrow is dealing with a, they both are dealing with a run for your life situation yeah. and Dwayne just can't run for his life. And right. so, <laughs> Joe extends some plays. He makes some plays downfield, and it's like, oh, Joe's playing better. It's like, no, Joe's just a better athlete. Right. He ain't playing better as a quarterback. He's just doing what he has to do, unfortunately. Yeah. Unfortunately. Okay, a couple of promo things, then we'll get you out of here. Uh, first yeah. is, talk, talk. you have a tailgate coming up first game of the season, bro, right? Talk, bro, talk to us you, about that. Tell us You about can't it. call it a tailgate. Have you heard Sorry. the wines orders? That's no. like the SWAT team will come in and like oh, arrest us all. Uh, Tailgates okay. are banned. Okay. It is Sorry. called... It is called a game day experience. There it is. There it is. Sorry. So you have a game day experience. Yeah, man. So we're really excited about it. Um, We were excited about it without the coronavirus because it was going to be awesome. It was going to be the epicenter for for tailgating on campus. And we've had to pivot because it's social distancing. We have to mask up. We're going to, you know, really operate like a high end restaurant with cleanliness, temperatures and things like that. But it's at the point on lane right next to Varsity Club. We're going to have minimal tickets because we can't fit as many people. We were going to try to have five, six hundred people. But now we're going to have to really limit it for spacing concerns. But Braxton Braxton Miller and I partnered to do it, uh, his charging brand and then my menace to sports. We're going to put it on. We're going to have former players there. All you can eat, all you can drink, kind of a watch party to watch the game, hang out with us, do some analysis, pregame, postgame. We're still working on all the details, but we already have big-time sponsors, big-time food sponsors. It's going to be awesome. How do and people so, find out about it, and how do people get tickets or get involved? Yeah, so we're, we're launching ticket sales tomorrow. Uh, it'll be on, I think, Eventbrite or something. It'll all be on our website and on my social media. But uh, if anyone's interested, the, it's called the Ace on Lane, uh, A Charging Experience, Braxton's company. So the Perfect. Ace on Lane, and if anyone wants to hit us up about it, maybe sponsorships, partnerships, or even if you want to go, uh, the, the, our email is theaceonlane at gmail.com. We're really fired up about it, man. It should be fun. It might not be a lot of people, but it's going to be a good time. Yeah. One more question, and then I'll get you out of here. Yeah. Uh, tell us about your fantasy team. Bro, I don't even want to talk about it. I don't even want to talk about it. <laughs> I don't even want to talk about it. It's that bad. It's that bad. It's Injuries? Injuries? I mean, I, I'm going to go on a rant for tw- 10 seconds. Do you think? First of all, in my family league, my dad decides to trade Joe Mixon because he hasn't done anything for three years to oh, my no. brother, who I'm playing this week, oh, who God. goes off for 43 points. Yeah, like, I've disowned my dad. I don't have a dad anymore. <laughs> and, and then oh, I, made the, I made the mistake of thinking, like, A.J. Green was going to have a bounce-back year with Joe yeah. Burrow, get excited, and he is terrible. It's he is bad. awful. He needs to retire. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm so sick about it. What's and that, happening with A.J. real quick? What is that? What, what are you seeing there? Is he just, he's, he's, no, he, he's healthy. Come on, I, I ain't I ain't listening to that no more. I listened right. to it all last year. He was he he was hurt. He ain't hurt yeah. no more. Yeah. He, he just, just not getting up in. He's he's checked out. He runs yeah. the worst routes in the National Football League, and he didn't. <laughs> he used to be phenomenal. Right, he's right. terrible. He yeah. couldn't get. He can't get open against me. I'll cover that, him right that's now. That's really surprising to hear because it's shocking. We knew yeah. about AJ Green. Oh my gosh, I used to show teach tapes like yeah. this. Dude is floating, running post corners, and just nasty. And now right. you're watching him like. 
He wouldn't have started at oh, Ohio man. State. Oh man, that's crazy. So Awful. what's what's your record? <laughs> well, I'm I'm two and two in my main league. Okay. So I'm not, work with it's, that. it's not over yet. Uh, Deshaun yeah. Watson's killing me. This whole Bill O'Brien nightmare with Desha- it's just I have him too. Yeah, it's killing me. And I got Joe Burrow's my backup, but he just okay. he, he's not ready to be that guy in fantasy yet. You know? Yeah. 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 My uh, my I'm one and three in the main league, which is a disaster. I, I had uh, <laughs> I got Nick Chubb. And I lost by one point oh. this week. I have Nick Chubb. So you can Yeah, right, right. And so then last week, I, you. I last beat you by like three points. <laughs> yeah. Last week I lost the V in a close game. And I had Deontay Johnson go out. It was just, you know, it's just I have a good team, but it's just, you know, I'm not fading the injuries in the right in the right circumstances. Well, so. the, this year the injuries is just wild. It's, it's they're nuts. all the injuries are wild, and, and it's just—I mean, I, I'm yeah. trying to pull up my team because I—I know I, I have I some more know, gripes. I don't know—I <laughs> don't know how good my team is yet. I think it's pretty good, but yeah, I, beast three and one. I've got—I've got two areas of concern. David Montgomery is my RB two, and I'm not sure. I thought Gasecki was going to be something at tight end. Yeah, on, he showed something, um, but I'm not sure if he well, is. My big, my biggest issue is this. So outside of everything I already bitched about, I'm going to go on one more and then I I won't bore everybody, but COVID is, is already pissing me off outside of like the, the real life ramifications, like in my own selfish little world in my studio, like Mm -hmm. I have James Conner and Pittsburgh's defense and then COVID hits and it's like, Oh fuck me, I guess. Yeah, exactly. And and then I'm I'm just terrified because Julio's going down that AJ green path right now. He, he, oh, it's a Julio? hamstring. Yeah, I got Julio. Julio. Oh, yeah. Man. yeah, yeah, yeah. He had a hamstring, yeah. couldn't and play. Then you then got he, the other. It's scary in Atlanta because now you've got and now Russell Russell Gage is becoming something too. Uh, it's just yeah. like I feel like uh, twenty twenty. This would be twenty twenty. This would this would happen in twenty twenty to me. <laughs> just unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. All right, we'll follow up. We'll follow long up. season, long season in front of us. Hey, I just, yeah. you know, you don't want to wish ill on anyone, but if COVID could hit some uh, other teams players, that'd be a hell of a deal. I know, right? <laughs> Seriously. And we'll see too, because, you know, the uh, even though the, the Chiefs and the Patriots played and they said everything is good, I, I, I'm a little nervous about, about that because some of yeah. these tests don't show up until like days later. So right. we'll see what happens. Let's, right. enjoy, let's enjoy it all while we can. There it is. Yeah. That's it. it. That's it. That's All right. It. Thanks. Thanks, Zach, man. Have a good weekend. Make sure you're safe out here and uh, we'll talk to you soon. You too, fellas. Love the Pilot Boys podcast? Support us on Patreon. Supporters can pledge as little as $1. We have some cool perks on there. Check out www.patreon.com forward slash Pilot Boys podcast. Show us some love today. You're listening to the Pilot Boys podcast. I'm going to hit some news and notes. You ready, V? Let's get it. Let's start with... Uh, some of former Ohio State quarterbacks in the NFL uh, that are performing well, I guess, depending on who you talk to. Obviously, Joe Burrow is performing very well. Haskins, I think, is performing well, given the circumstances. What are you seeing there between between those two guys? Well, I, don't, I think what you have to do, and this is, this is going to be very shocking. My analysis is going to be shocking because we are talking about the Bengals, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you look at when young quarterbacks come into the league, no matter how talented they are or how good they may be or may not be, it all comes down to how the franchise builds the team around them, right? Mm-hmm. And if you look at Cincinnati's team, yeah, they have some some weaknesses at offensive line that they need to address. But in terms of offensive talent, what does Joe Burrow have? He has a star running back. He has multiple receivers, first round draft pick receivers. The Bengals are have even though they're the Bengals, 
realized that if we're going to draft this guy, we have to give him weapons. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also have to have a culture here that he can slide into. I guarantee if that team didn't have veteran presence like AJ Green, veteran presence like Joe Mixon, guys who've already established themselves as offensive stars, I don't think Joe Burrow performs as well as he does right out of the gate. And now he also had the experience, you know, their one year start, they're both two of being a two year starter in college. And Haskins was only a one year starter. So what the Redskins expected Haskins to do was just, it's, it's like impossible. The expectations people have and the criticism and bothers me so much because I actually think he's performing better than he should be considering Mm -hmm. a couple things. One, he started 10 games in college. So any team that was drafting him should have been a team that knew, Hey, this guy has a lot of talent, but he needs to be developed Mm -hmm. and he needs to be given time to develop. The Redskins pretty much threw him into the fire with, a coach in flux, a complete culture in flux, an ownership in flux, a team name in flux. And if you look at that team, the only piece that he really has to work with is Terry McLaurin. Too. Yeah. They created look- away their offensive, their best offensive lineman. It's like they're not doing anything to put this kid in position to succeed. That, yet that, everyone wants to blame him. The organization is just a dumpster fire. And yeah. like you said, for him specifically, there hasn't really been any continuity there, even just in terms of offensive talent. Last year, I think. AJ Peterson and Darius Geis were his top two running backs. And then Jordan Reed was there, you know, and now it's, it's him and Terry and, you know, Antonio Gibson is good. Um, but these guys are young, you know, these guys are young and it, you know, there's some breakdown. I think Dan Arlovsky did um, on social media about just kind of even the spacing and, and the route running and um, just kind of the offensive play calling and schemes. And it's just bad. It's just, it's just really, really bad. So I think all the, all things considered, he's performing well. But, you know, a lot of people think that he's just set up to fail um, in Washington, just given that organization uh, as far as far as. But, you know, I think Haskins will be fine and I think he'll figure it out. Even if he ends up on a different team, he's going to be a good, a very, very good quarterback. Yeah, because he's going to do the work regardless do, of what. He wants to be great. And, and you know, he, uh, you know, he just has to find kind of the right situation. And, and going back to, uh, to and then to Burrow, you know, Burrow, he actually, you know, was in at LSU was under basically an NFL offensive coordinator, right? And Joe yeah. Brady. So he's been playing that style of offense for a while. And then, like you said, he also has weapons around him, but it's not just that he also, I mean, this kid was groomed since he was a kid, you know, to, to yeah. be this, right. I mean, his dad was a coach. It's just, you know, he's, he's always been this guy, you know, he's yeah. always had poise. He's always, you know, understood how to play that position. Um, but I do think one thing that is very underrated in the NFL and this is kind of what you're alluded to as well as the position that you're put in, you know, yeah. the team that you go to, what you're surrounded with, a lot of those things, you know, maybe you could say that's luck or fortune or whatever, but those things can really, really determine success. I mean, I truly believe this. If Tom Brady had gone to a different organization, say he went to yeah. Detroit or something like that, we, we would never have heard of the guy. So, and that's not to take anything away from Tom Brady. It's just, you know, I just think that people don't mention those type of things enough. And you have to look at, and you can break this stuff down, right? And mm-hmm. actually look at this specific team, the Washington football team, and say, when is the last quarterback that they've actually developed and gotten? They've had a lot of guys with hype. Mm-hmm. When's the last quarterback that they've actually had s- success with? Jason Campbell looked like he had potential. They mm-hmm. destroyed that. Mm-hmm. RG3. Um, 
RG3 destroyed mm-hmm. that. You know, every QB, Kirk Cousins, he was average there, right? But yeah. he got better when he went to Minnesota, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. it's like you kind of have to feel for, and you understand why, like you were alluding to with Joe Burrow, why Eli Manning's family took the position that they did when mm-hmm. um, the Chargers drafted Eli. Mm-hmm. It was like, look, we don't trust this organization. Mm-hmm. We don't trust this culture. So our son isn't going to play here. And yeah. it, it seemed like, oh, they're they're exercising their power. No, yes, they did exercise their power, mm-hmm. but they did it to put their make sure their son didn't get put in a position to fail. Yeah. So I mean, the, you know, as a Browns fan, obviously, it's annoying to see Joe Burrow there <laughs> in Cincinnati. And uh, but you know, at, at the same time, I'm a football fan, and so I can appreciate what it is that he's doing and, and what it is that he's he's can get done there. Obviously, they have to fix that offensive line or he's going to be in yeah. trouble and his career will be short. Haskins um, beat out Burrow. And so you can't just say Haskins sucks. Right. And Burrow's great. Like, I respect Burrow. He's a great player. But you can't just say, oh, well, Burrow's good and Haskins isn't. That's that's where I start to have a problem with it. Right. All right, let's talk, um, let's talk some, uh, you know, I guess current event stuff. You know, Trump uh, announced last week that he and his wife tested positive for coronavirus. And since then, a number of people from, you know, Kellyanne Conway and uh, now his press secretary and a number of different aides and drivers and all kinds of people. And, you know, it seems to be an outbreak uh, going on in the White House. And, uh, you know, he checked he had checked in the Walter Reed and then he had, you know, apparently he's been on a, just a high amount of different types of drugs and like uh, cocktail of drugs, I guess you can say. And then he, you know, checked out, checked himself out to do a drive-by wave to his people, even though he still was positive for the virus and put his Secret Service members at risk by doing so. And then ultimately has checked himself out um, and is now back at the White House and doing photo ops and all that type of stuff. I, this, this shit to me is just like, it's crazy because it's like, he lies so much. Um, that it's hard that the, we actually have to question everything. It's it's so hard to even know what what's yeah. true and what's not true, right? Um, yeah. And it, there's just so much spin that's always coming out of out of the White House and lies coming out of the White House that it's it's you know it's 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 hard to even digest some of this stuff. The fact that the fact that it actually is a real question of wondering whether or not he actually has it or not is is the first part of it right like mm-hmm. the fact that that question even has to be asked of yeah. the US president of right what is the truth and what isn't the truth here mm-hmm. um th- that's part of it and it's just i don't even know what to say at this point anymore because this is not about donald trump mm-hmm. right like this is about us as americans and as a cult as a culture like are we this this divided and this disconnected that we can't even properly hold people accountable for doing things like this because regardless of whether or not you think the disease is serious or not you know even if you have the flu right it's not responsible that you call off of work mm-hmm. you don't go into work and get other people sick regardless mm-hmm. of whether it's serious or not this kind of reckless disregard for other people also yes secret service people are sworn to protect the president with their lives mm-hmm. but that also goes the other way where the president isn't supposed to be reckless mm-hmm. in putting their lives in danger. Mm-hmm. 
and then and then and then on top of that just like the the statements afterward about you know don't fear this covid yeah. thing and like people have died from it people are suffering from it like you know you know and then taking off your mask and walking into the like like st- stop you know stop like when are you going to actually have res- respect for the fact that we're actually in a pandemic um, and that people all across the world are dying from this and suffering from this and that people don't have the healthcare access that you have. Everyone doesn't have Walter Reed and can't get on the cocktail of drugs that you've gotten in the 24 hour surveillance of, of care and the point of care testing. And you, not everybody has access to that. So that's the other thing too, is that even if he does have it, the way that he's handled it since then is not the responsible way of handling the pandemic. It's just, it's just, it's, it's frustrating to watch because this guy can't at this current stage, right? He can't be stopped. He's going to do whatever he wants to do. It's, it's and a, now he's trying to, now him and other people are trying to put a spin on this. Like, yeah, he's tough. He beat it. And all this other shit. It's like, man, come on, stop, stop. This is not a game. Yeah. And, and, and the, the game is also like this, this is a reflection of the truth is we've had this conversation multiple times about how we don't, properly take mental illness seriously we have somebody who's narcissistic and has serious mental issues in office right now and we laugh about it and not only that that freaking video that like movie scene entrance with the dramatic music and stuff yeah cnn's covering it msnbc is covering it fox news is covering it the media entities and news news agencies at a certain point are going to have to say, yeah, we know this is going to drive ratings. We live in reality TV political space now because of Donald Trump. But we're going to take a stand at some point. This isn't right. This isn't the way that things should be handled. So we're just going to turn it off. That's the only way to stop this because I actually don't even, I look at Donald Trump as someone who has a personality disorder. And the only way he's going to be protected is by the people around him. And that's the other thing that started to bother me is it's showing just how much power the president has to do whatever the hell he wants to do. If well, he, I mean, people around us are spineless. You know, that's the other thing. And you're yeah. going to see if he loses next month, you're going to see a lot of these people who, you know, these Ted Cruz's of the world who once bashed him and Lindsey Graham's and all these people who bashed the shit out of him. And all of a sudden you're going to start seeing these people start to distance and distance themselves from him. But people are addicted to power, you know, and that's yeah. the thing is, is, People are attracted to power and it's not just in this space. And so people are going to hold on to whatever they think is going to make them more powerful. Um, But there's consequences for that. And that's the other reason why we encourage people, you know, to vote and make sure that you exercise. If you see things that you don't like and things that you think are frustrating you and things that like, you know, you have some of the same similar sentiments and go out and vote. There are ways to kind of stop, you know, that is your way to stop what you, what you feel like you see is happening or if you support what you see is happening, that's a way, your way to support it as well. But that that's that's something that I think is is very important. But this outbreak is crazy, and it's it's a real life scandal. And then you have Kelly and Conway's daughter who's exposing a lot of stuff, and maybe she's doing it for attention, but she's telling the truth. I mean, these people are lying. People are hiding their their positive tests and exposing people. You have the what they call the Rose Garden massacre. Multiple people there without masks. People don't. And then, and then the irresponsibility of saying, "Oh, well, everybody tested today and they tested negative," as if that means that they they can't have it. Um, understanding how this disease works—that's just basic. Even the average person understands that, that doesn't necessarily mean that you know people aren't don't necessarily have it, or that those tests are automatically accurate. It's just it's just a ton, a ton of irresponsibility coming out 
of 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 the White House, and it's just it's really really terrible to yeah, see. Yeah, it is. It is, and people, like you said, people are dying from mm-hmm. this. Families mm-hmm. are being disrupted. Mm-hmm. Not everyone has access to free healthcare at mm-hmm. Walter Reed. Mm-hmm. If any one of us would have went to the hospital and got the treatment that he got, we would have probably walked out of there with a couple hundred thousand dollar bill. Not right? to mention, you know, and we had Van Gupta on the show, one of your high school classmates uh, a while ago, and he was telling us just, you know, a lot about the disease. And and he's been talking about this the last couple of days. He said, listen, these drugs, uh, you know, I don't even remember, Demexazone or whatever the name of that yeah. drug is. He's like, these are like serious drugs. You don't give these drugs unless there's an ammonia potentially involved with it. Like these aren't just like drugs. You just, every person is just going to get because they caught the coronavirus. Like, let's be honest. Where are the chest x-rays? Where, what, let's tell the American people what's going on. This cut, there's, there's no need to have a cover up about this situation unless you're just so addicted to power and, and, and politics. Um, and that's, what's so unfortunate about this too, is that people we're being lied to, you know, we're being lied to doctors are coming out doctors coming out and saying, Oh, I misspoke. I didn't mean to say 72 hours. I meant to say third day. Like what, what is going on here? You know, it's just too much. And it's, and it's, it's really, really frustrating to see. But again, um, you know, the election is in three weeks, in yeah. three weeks, you know? So right now we're going to see a lot of different shit and, um, hopefully, you know, like I, I saw, you know, this week. Um, even in Ohio, Central Ohio, early voting, people are out there, you know, people are, people are out there. So that's all, you know, and I, I you know, I'm, I personally am, am going to be dedicated to that over the next few weeks. Um, just trying to make, make sure I'm encourage people because this is a very, very pivotal moment in time. And I, and I don't think it's one where people can be quiet. Um, and then, you know, and then bitch about the result, you know, a few weeks from now. So, yeah, you know, yeah. that's, I mean, look, we have a we have a system in place, um, you know. And if if and again, this is this is if you believe in in our system, vote and ex- whatever the result is, we'll all accept. We'll be forced to accept and make decisions based on what the result is. But like you said very clearly, if you don't participate in the process, then don't say anything after the election. Mm-hmm. Don't complain. Don't get yell at the TV. Just accept it. Mm-hmm. You know? And it's not good enough. And my last thing for me, for me personally, I don't think it's good enough to just necessarily vote. If you're very passionate about this stuff, I think it's all, you also have to galvanize people. Use whatever platform you have. If it's signing up your neighbor next door and that's not that, then do that. But um, I think last time, you know, and, and throughout my life, I've seen a lot of people be complacent about just kind of the overall voting process and then complain and bitch for four years. And I, I, I'm not, I'm not trying to hear that. So um so yeah so obviously this will be ongoing let's move on though let's talk about um let's talk some nba stuff because the the nba there are a couple interesting stories obviously you have the lakers um who are who look like they're going to win again um their path to winning wasn't the path that maybe necessarily we thought they would have we all kind of thought they would have to go through the clippers they didn't have to do that um we thought maybe they would have to go through at least earlier, so a lot of people thought they would have to go through maybe Milwaukee or Boston. They didn't have to do that. Or, and then once Miami won, we thought we, they would have to go through a healthy Miami. And Miami has actually had some injuries with Dragic. And um, bam. Um, but Jimmy Butler, you know, he's, he's, <laughs> he's a, he's a one man show, man. He's not gonna, he's one of a kind, right? He's like one of those special kind of generational type guys from an attitude standpoint. He's not going to go down that way. 
Um, and then you have the NBA ratings that are down as well. Uh, NBA finals ratings are down as well. What stands out to you kind of about just what's happening in the, in the NBA? I mean, I think, you know, when we had Maurice Bob on earlier, earlier in the, when the bubble started, we asked about the asterisks next to the season, regardless, he said, regardless, he thinks there's going to be an asterisk next to whoever wins, right? Mm-hmm. Because this thing kind of flipped everything, flipped everything upside down. Um, the Lakers have to be appreciated as, as what they are. They have one of the, one of the top five players, no matter where you put him, you have to put him in the top five now players of all time. And then you have Anthony Davis, who, if he continues on the path that he's going on, he's going to probably be one of the best players to ever play the game as well. Mm -hmm. So I think as a basketball fan, like forget everything else else is going on. I'm still appreciative of what I'm witnessing. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And then on the other side, what we're seeing from Jimmy Butler is, is he, he knows the chips are stacked against him to win one game, losing the, the, two of your three best players to even take one game from this team tells you a lot about what you can do when you truly believe in something and you Mm -hmm. truly believe in yourself, the odds that you can overcome. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's very special. Um, And if you're not watching, you're missing out on that. Um, And I know there's a lot of other things going on, but as far as the ratings being down, like they can try to, avoid this and and talk about it and say, Oh, there's all make all the excuses as to why the games aren't being watched because there isn't a fan experience. Well, when you're watching on TV, you're not watching for the fan experience. I honestly think that this, that the NBA taking such a firm stance on social issues that are not related to the sport and putting it in people's faces the way that it has definitely has impacted a population of viewers to steer away from watching it, whether they're in the shut up and dribble crowd or they're just like, I don't like any of this and I'm not going to watch it. It's not all just due to coronavirus and due to, Oh, the experience isn't the same. There is some of that. And I will agree. Some people probably aren't watching because of that, but we can't ignore the troubling issue that, there are people turning away because the NBA is taking a stand for what is objectively right. You know? I think it's, I think it's a, uh, it's deeper than that. I think it's a, like a, just like a perfect storm, storm of disaster. Right. I think, um, first of all, Miami's not an exciting team to, to, to the casual fan, right. To the basketball fans, they are. Yeah. Um, but to the casual fan, they're not, they don't have the star power. Jimmy Butler's a star, but he's not a, he's not necessarily transcendent. Um, to the point where people feel like they have to watch him play. That's number one. I think number two is the the way, um, you know, the ratings have been down, period, since they came back, right? Like, people haven't mm-hmm. been that interested. I'm a basketball person. And I haven't been watching nearly as much as I normally do. Uh, I'm not a full basketball person. I'm obviously more football. But I watch, you know, and I watch pretty much every year, and I, I haven't been. So I know if I'm not, then, you know, there are a lot of people that probably are have taken that same thing. And then um, – you know, and then you also have kind of like the, like you said, the social justice stuff that in people's face that probably turned off some some viewers, and then just the, the lack of kind of com- competitiveness on the other side. You know, if this was, you know, like I guarantee if this was LeBron versus Golden State, right, like type 
series. Yeah, Lakers, the- Lakers, Lakers, Clippers. That not happening mm-hmm. ruined ruined the playoffs. That was right? a big. That was a big blow to the playoffs, right? Because I think at that point people thought that the was suspense. The yeah, and the suspense was kind of taken out. Even if Giannis was on the other side, or you know, I don't know if the East ever really had a team. But if this was, let's say, it was Kevin Durant, Kyrie, and Brooklyn on the other side, the ratings would be higher. That's a guaranteed one hundred percent fact. So it's just literally a perfect storm of disaster. Um, and then also football happening and coming back at, you know, during this yeah, time. And that's kind football. of what my, what my counter would be is like, people are saying that they're distracted and they don't really care that much, but football ratings are fine. Well, football football's America's sport. And typically the finals don't happen during the same time as football is on, you know? Yeah. So it's just like, they're, 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 that shit happens in June normally. And yeah. now you have it happening in September and October and people are like already fantasy football. And, you know, they're, they're, people are, you know, watching their team they care more about that um so it's just, like i said it's just a perfect storm every, like, every single thing that can yeah. make the ratings be down or down so i'm not gonna let people take this like you know some of these like conservative outlets and haters are trying to take this like viewpoint that this is all about black lives matter being on the court and it's just like okay that that could, yeah, that, could have, that could have something to do with it but there's there's there are like five or six other things too that are also contributing I to think, this i think i think it's important to have that conversation and not just dismiss it though. Because yeah, I mean, you can have it. I think, I think America needs to start to have, like when we talk about having real conversations about this stuff, mm-hmm. like, and you know, and I've talked to some people and, and this isn't just for me just observing, but talking to people who are normally basketball fans, finding excuses, like finding excuses as to why they're not watching. And obviously some, there's a lot of reasons like you like you pointed out. But I think that it is important for for a certain population of people to to at least have that conversation internally about am I tuning this out because LeBron James is speaking up and I don't like the way that he's speaking up and standing up, or am I genuinely not interested anymore? Well, I think I'm the perfect example because, like I said, I'm not really I haven't really been watching, and, I, and I'm just being honest. Like since the playoffs have started, and I, and I just it's been hard for it to grab my interest. Again, part of it is just corona and getting back into it the environment and i do think that the environment matters you know um the fans and stuff like that and a lot of times playoffs that's what i am looking for that energy that's what makes the playoffs always different to me yeah. is like you know someone hits a shot and the crowd is showing all that type of stuff i'm not saying so it's not the same atmosphere it's not the same thing you know um and even football they realize that like they make these shots are tighter you know you don't realize and they have the crowd noise it sound it seems like the same until they show an aerial view going to commercial and you see that there are no fans there, it seems the same. Um, so that is part of the experience that we're used to. And like I said, I agree with you on the social justice thing. It's something that needs to be talked about, but I think it's, it's, it's just incom- completely incomplete analysis to try to act as if that's the, the, the reason why ratings are down. That's the only reason why ratings are down when there's literally like, I just named five or six other things that are contributing to it. But again, we'll see, you know, I mean, the N- NBA has, the NBA does have issues that they have to figure out, right? They do have to do them more than we do. They have to do an actual deep dive analysis on this and figure out how much do they really think that is affecting and how much of a stand do they want to take next year? How much is it affecting their bottom line? Cause ultimately, you know, they can take as many stands as they want, but their bottom line, if it continues to be affected, then they have to look at it and, de- and determine what it is that they yeah. want to do as a business. So, yeah. uh, so I think that's something that's important, but I think it, that right now, it's probably not. There are too many other things that have that have intervened, including the timing, right? Being during football season. I mean, people are watching football, man. People, yeah. 
you know, but no one cares about if unless the Lakers are your team, Miami is your team. And even if Miami is your team, you're kind of just you're just going to watch them get beat up. Like that's not that's not exciting. So, um, yeah. And, and as far as as far as, you know, and I think this conversation has to be had just because it's what people the conversation people have in basketball is like. If LeBron wins this championship in the in the larger picture, can this be evaluated the same as everyone else's championships or even the other championships he's won himself? Can it be given the same value? Um, I think it has to chance? be. I think it has to be because one of the things that you you said earlier um, in a, in a different show is that this is some of the best. This playoffs has been some of the best basketball that you've seen. Some of the most focused basketball. Yep. that we've seen across the playoffs. And the fact that the Clippers didn't make, that's not, I mean, that's the Clippers' fault. You know what I mean? And yep. Denver beat them. like, the, And then they went and smacked Denver. So it's kind of like, what is he supposed to do? You know, he, yeah. you know, like uh, at the end of the day, you know, there's certain teams that, like, it, it, you can't be penalized for not having the perfect path that everyone thinks you should have had yeah. um, to win. You know, at the end of the day, and this is what we always said. And this is what the arguments people make for Jordan. The arguments, it's like, whoever was in the way, we won. Six up, six down. It, just win. Figure out a way to win. So, yeah, is it going to be viewed as the same tough road as his when they beat Golden State? No. I mean, obviously, right? For, right? But at the same, is it a championship and a legit championship? Absolutely. I don't think anyone can yeah. act as – I think it's, it's unfair um, to him. And to anybody else, you know, for people to try to act like it's an illegitimate championship. And, and uh, I'm not saying that's what you're saying, but yeah, I'm not, I'm, yeah. I was asking yeah. the question. Yeah. Um, I wasn't, but I just, I know people are going to do that. And I know people are going to say, well, look at the path. You just get Bayless of the world. Look at the path that they had to go down and they didn't have to play the Clippers and they didn't have to play Giannis. And it's like, look, bro, those people didn't win. They played the best people that won, you know, the people that were in their way, they, they, they beat them. So the asterisk that, if any, goes isn't a LeBron asterisk. It's an NBA asterisk for the entire league, right? Because it is a big one thing that I will say is it is one of the biggest things about the NBA is that it's a long, hard season, right? Mm -hmm. 82 games, then seven game series in every round of the playoffs before you get to the finals. So I can understand. But they still played 60 something games before. You know, before they, the, got, this, they got pretty much like a three month break in the middle of the season to rehab, fix their injuries. So I'm I'm saying this from an NBA perspective. I mean, they I'm lost not, players too. They lost if, if Bradley. I'm, they lost guys. You know, I can understand the position that someone else who had to go through that. Like this is a perfect situation where someone like Will Chamberlain would come in and be like, "Nah, this isn't the same." You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like that's just the type of guy he is and you, you know, as players, but they actually lost people as a result. Uh, Avery Bradley was a key piece. They actually lost like key pieces as a result of this break as well. And had to, you know, kind of retool and figure, I mean, it's, it's not J.R. Smith, bro. Like J.R. Smith, nobody was signing yeah. J.R., you know? So like there are arguments on both sides. That's why I just think people are doing too much mental gymnastics when it comes to that. I mean, when you're evaluating, like, and you're ranking his, just like if we do with Jordan, this is a legacy. Rank- this isn't whether this is in his legacy argument, right? Do you say, winning this championship changes. Like, I feel like how, how does it change or improve his argument? In I think so. So, so I, I guess the question is, it's the same thing with Jordan, right? It's like, when we talk about Jordan championships, it was, you know, six championships, but we don't necessarily go in each one and figure out which one was the hardest one to win. And, 
And well, you know, there are wanna, certain people ones. who people who want to negate his accomplishments will always say, "Well, Jordan's competition was weaker." Jordan's that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm yeah. saying. So, so when you're nitpicking like that, right? Then yeah. you can go in and start. But at the end of the day, it's like you know how many how many championships did you win, and how many you know. So, I think ultimately he he'll have four if they win, and he'll have an opportunity and they're going to be favored to win next. They're already favored yeah. actually in Vegas to win next year. I mean, I think what happens next year in terms of that larger argument in terms of the Pantheon changing, changing his position amongst objective. Some people have already made their decision. But mm -hmm. Objective fans. Oh yeah. It's really going to be based on what if they win this year next and year. next year. I mean, they, the, I'm, I'm staying out. Look, I still, that, that go argument gets gets way 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 closer, right? Because yeah. part of the, part of the LeBron argument, again, is is not just it, for some people. It's just winning. Jordan six up, six down since since he started making the playoffs or getting out of the first round or yeah. whatever. Same argument um, people make for Joe Montana in the NFL still. Right, but then but part of Le LeBron's argument and greatness has to be longevity. You know, it has to be. It ha you have to. In fact, it's like the Brett Favre thing, right? It's like. Wow, because LeBron is not, he's not just a guy <laughs> on the team in the 17th year. He is still, you know, I mean, obviously Anthony Davis is, 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 is amazing, but LeBron is still what makes that team go. Without LeBron, they don't, they, Anthony Davis couldn't even get out of the playoffs when playing as well, as, almost as well as he's playing when he was on his own team. Yeah. You know, we've LeBron never, is what makes that team go, you know. I mean, we've never, and I think you brought up the, the key point, like this isn't the kicker who played 21 years, right? Right, this, exactly. This, this is a guy who has, from the first year he entered the league till this year, remains, even if you still don't have him as the best player, one of the top five players. So that longevity we haven't seen, I think, in any American sport probably ever. It's like Brady. It's like Tom Brady, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, so, and that's that's what makes what Brady did amazing. I mean, winning a, a, a Super Bowl in his 40s, you know. Yeah. Um, it wasn't like he's just playing. And then even what he's doing with Tampa Bay, you know, if Brady goes and wins another one out there, even though he's not playing perfect football, but he's still the leader of that team. And you, you can yeah. imagine what that team would look like with a different quarterback. Like, bro, you got to you got to give it to him. So I, don't what I hope doesn't happen in this. And, I, you know, when you're not, you know, like the when people aren't watching and I think people are doing themselves a disservice, too, is I think we all know how great LeBron is. Mm hmm. But we really are, you're really missing out on how special of a player. We've never seen anything like Anthony Davis either. I Wayne, Wade admitted, people, Wayne yeah. Wade admitted that he's probably a better better second player than LeBron's, even over himself, than LeBron's ever played with. I mean, this guy is is something to battle. But the other thing, that's true. But outside of that, that team is, is, I mean, Rondo is the man. Yeah, getting you know, Rondo back was huge. They're yeah, stacked. Yeah, getting Rondo back. They're not stacked. They're not they're, they're, they have a lot of length, though. They have a lot of length. They're, they're stacked in terms of they're deep, and they have LeBron and AD. They're not that deep. I mean, Kuzma's not what we thought he was going to be. Danny Green hasn't been playing that well recent in the playoffs. I mean, he's had a couple shots in you the have finals. To have, and it, goes, like, it goes back to the argument that I kind of always make about teams, right? I say mm -hmm. that two-star teams with a bunch of very specific role players are the best teams in terms of because then you don't have the same ego conflict that you have everybody well, most of most of the great teams were two-star teams you know even pippen and jordan and um you know like lebron and and uh and well i guess lebron and Kyrie. but the reason but recently i guess you've seen 
you've seen like his stack teams, the stack teams, you know. So, yeah. all right, let's talk some let's talk some pop culture and some music stuff. Um, Chris Rock and Megan The Stallion hosted Saturday Night Live. Uh, I thought Chris Rock's mon- monologue. There were some interesting parts about it that I thought were good. Then there's some weird parts about it that I was just like, "What, what are you saying?" You know. Um, and then Megan The Stallion performed, and she obviously did her, um, you know, what they call a powerful message to you know Breonna Taylor and protect protect black women. Black women. Did you watch it? And and if so, did anything kind of stand out to you about it? I watch I watched bits and pieces of it. I think it mm. was it was significant in the sense that it was the first live taping that they've they've done since since the virus started. And one mm-hmm. of the interesting things that happened on the show was the skits that they did regarding Donald Trump and the coronavirus, right? Like there's a lot of backlash on on whether or not they were paying enough respect to um the fact that the president may be ill with the grave grave illness um i think alec baldwin uh, came out and and talked about it and and qualified and said why they did it i didn't i don't know if you had any thoughts in regarding regarding so that's a that's a good question that's it's actually a bigger question um you know people have been talking about a lot and ava duvernay and a lot of different people have been involved in this conversation about how much um i guess like uh, how much respect, I guess is the right word, should, should defer- deference def- to the illness, deference and, to, and to the, the illness, and the office given. of the presidency, right? Not and, to the specific right. person, but right. Know. And I think that there, there have been there, there are two sides of this thing that I that I I can hear both, right? One is listen, I don't care who it is, whatever, uh, you know, you don't wish anything bad on, upon people. But I also hear the other side, like listen, I don't have to if someone who I believe wishes bad upon me or bad upon people that I, that I love or the type of, or a specific group of people that I love or America as a whole, then why do I have to have any deference for it's like a serial killer, you know, the analogy would be a serial killer catches the virus and I have to like shout now show sympathy for the serial killer. Like is, is, is no, no, I don't have to, you know? So it's, it's, it, in a lot of ways, to me, it comes about. It comes down to how do you view the person, you know? And I, I can, I'm not going to tell anybody how they should view a person, you know. And that's that's not for me to judge. I mean, and also using using one of these favorite legal phrases that I've picked up from you guys: strict liability, right? Like Donald mm-hmm. Trump, by how he behaves and how he treats the virus, his the reaction to it is a direct response to that, mm-hmm. right? It's not. Oh, if it's not, oh, people are just making fun of him mm-hmm. by him not taking it seriously and by him saying it's not a big deal, that it's a hoax and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. This is the type of response that you're welcoming by taking that position. So Definitely. you have to understand that um, when, yeah. you, when, when you take the positions that you take. Right. 21 Savage and Metro Boomin release Savage Mode 2. Any thoughts on that? I'm impressed that 21 Savage got Morgan Freeman to narrate the whole the whole album. Yeah. That's yeah. that's 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 a that's a I'm not I don't I was about to say Trump move, chess move. Right, right, <laughs> right, right. That yeah uh, that that I'm very impressed with. I'm I, I like 21 Savage. Um mm-hmm. I like how he moves and how he's operated business wise. Um I like the Savage remixes. I'm not I don't love all his music. I don't mm-hmm. think he's like, oh my God, one of the greats of all time. But I do respect his grind. I respect how he markets himself and how he brands himself. Um, and I do respect 
you know, some of the some of the content that he tries to make and issues that he tries to address in his music. Yeah, there's a, also a rumor. Um, this is slightly off the subject, but there's a rumor that Kendrick is leaving TDE. I don't know how, if that's real or not and starting his own thing, um, but we'll follow up on that. It seems like there's just a lot, you know, when you become successful, you know, the ties that bind, you know, it seemed like TDA was a real, real family because SZA's is having issues with the label as well. Mm-hmm. Now. Um, I hope that they, they're all able to, to work together and figure, figure it out. Right. And then Rick Ross, I guess it was boarding a private jet and, Um, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, well, I think here's the thing. I respect it. Mm-hmm. It's going to come out and say it. I mm-hmm. respect it because I think that a lot of people out here see this, this designer lifestyle and think that they can attain it. Even if you're a millionaire, all you're wearing is Louis Vuitton and you're spending $10,000 for every single one of your outfits or $15,000 for every one of your outfits all the accessories and everything. That's a recipe to go broke. Um, And Rick Ross understands that he is a celebrity and that there's a lifestyle that he needs to present, but it shows a a high degree of intelligence to say, you know what? People are going to probably believe that this is real anyways. I can spend, and you've seen this in how he actually operates in a bit as a businessman, all the franchises he buys he invests his money in things that are going to make him more money. Mm-hmm. Investing money in designer clothes doesn't make you more money. So, so the question then becomes, and you touched on this a little bit, is, is really the crux of this really becomes the value that he gets from people thinking. What is the value that he gets from people thinking? Why not just wear just a regular, just a regular non-fake designer, just non-anything bag or whatever, and just do that instead of acting like you're wearing the real stuff. And the answer to that is you touched on a little bit is that there, there's a benefit that he gets per, for presenting that lifestyle. Yeah. Um, assuming he doesn't get caught. Right. So you don't want to get caught, yeah. but there's a benefit that you get from presenting that lifestyle without paying the money for it. And what's the benefit of that? And I guess it goes to show how fickle society is as well. Um, it may be part, and this is maybe partially driven by celebrities and what they've pushed in our faces, but um the expectations on celebrities and what what it is that they're wearing and people are paying attention that much i mean first of all for people to even know that it's fake people are zooming in and doing the analysis right but there must be a benefit um that is the analysis that you're making when you do something like that is that there's a benefit from me presenting this lifestyle so that's why it's worth me taking the risk of doing it uh, but not paying the actual real money for it and that's the thing in capitalism right that's objective that's an objective measure of wealth that is pushed by media and society that he shows and people and it helps his brand. Yeah. And so I, I, (laughs) I'll be honest. Like I, I respect it. Like Mm -hmm. I do respect it a a great deal because he understands the game and he's playing it, but he's not being stupid. Yeah. See, I, the only thing I don't respect about it is don't get caught. You know what I mean? Yeah. You definitely don't want to, you got to figure if you're going to do it, Right then, then figure out a way. Then you got to do it the, the in a way that you're yeah, you have to be aware or, that people are paying attention. Like, yeah, that's crazy that someone would. Or in. or you get on your ocho cinco. Ocho cinco is like, look, I wear fake jewelry. You know, I don't care. Yeah. And just say it. You know what I mean? And just deal with deal with that. And that that's actually become part of his brand. Yeah, yeah. So the Rick Ross's brand is affluence and 
Aston right. Martin lifestyle and, right. and, and all that. So once but you get like you like you said, strict liability earlier. Once you get caught, then now you know you have some explaining to do, right? Because now then then it's like, okay, well, maybe he isn't as rich as he says he is, or which we which we don't believe to be true, but that's what starts happening. Or maybe he has been a fraud this whole time and you know, this lifestyle he's presented is not really him I mean, and all that. Look at Rick, look at what Rick Ross, what we've what Rick Ross has made it through and has continued to he was ex, he was exposed as not really being the guy that he portrays in his his raps, right? Mm-hmm. He's already been exposed to that, but he it just again it goes to society, reflects on society that the mess makes money, like the drama in these celebrities' lives makes people money. Yeah. Things like this makes people money. And, and this is easy too. He can be like, look, man, I, I trusted somebody, my personal yeah. assistant, personal shopper. I, I gave him money, I got hustled, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You know, it's like, I don't know all the details like you guys know, but you know, it's easy. He can get out of this easy. Yeah. Um, but it's just to me, it's just funny. You know, like I've I've worn fake jewelry before, like, you know, I'm not, you know, like, but I don't try, you know, it's just it's part of the it's but part of the game. I, I own a couple nice things, but I would never eat no no matter how much money I have. Now, you're not going to walk into my closet and see everything in the closet be $5,000 and no. up. They're going to be $10 t-shirts in their $10 hats because I just think that it's, if, if, and I think this is specifically important for, for new money and first generation people <clears throat> to understand yes. is that you have to save your money mm-hmm. so that your future generations don't have the same financial issues that you had growing up. It, but and that's a hard thing, and that's why financial literacy um, is one thing that we we need to get into all of our schools, right? Because there's there's certain things that people just don't even understand. I, I saw this video on Twitter, and they, it was like this guy he's like basically rolled up on all these rich people in these nice cars and said, "Hey, what do you do for a living?" And yeah. and you know, one of the guys was, guys was like, <laughs> "Nothing, nothing." <laughs> the guy investments or whatever. He had some Porsche or whatever. Yeah. The other guy was like. I don't do anything. I, you know, I don't do anything anymore. And then the one lady was like, I'm a wife. Why? You know, it's yeah. just funny. And it just, it just took, it gave you a glimpse of what real wealth is. Right. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, just to even live that lifestyle where you're not even, you're not even worried. Like that's, that's probably not even one tenth. It's, of not, on your, it's yeah. not on your mind. We know a lot. That's we what know, you get we know, we know people who are wealthy and who are in the public life and public world mm-hmm. versus people who are wealthy and don't have that public persona and profile and the difference in how those two groups of people. Well, meet. also people who are rich, you know, who, like you said, or have some new money, you know, maybe have, you know, so a few millions and stuff like that, which is great versus people who are actually wealthy and who have generational wealth. And you talk about, you know, land and property all over the country and investments and, yeah. you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in assets. It's a totally different type of lifestyle. So, um, but you know, you, that's, you understand the psychot that, that behavior, we had Columbus on talking about behavioral economics and consumer psychology. Mm-hmm. These are the things that cause society to value the thing. So I don't think what I don't want people to take away from this is that we're pointing fingers at anyone mm-hmm. or living the way that they live. Mm-hmm. Simply just advising people. Like if this is what your long-term goal is, these are kind of some of the things that you have to avoid doing. There's a lot of trauma also, especially when you're yeah. talking about like in urban communities, financial trauma that a lot, that makes people want to be flashy and, and wear, you know, diamonds yeah. and gold and, and, and pay for things that make themselves feel good and make themselves look rich. 
there's a lot of that too that has to be unpacked. It's just you know it's 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 much much deeper than than the surface. And I think you and I know that, but a lot of other people don't. Yeah. Let, let's move on to a couple of things that are happening in, in business. Uh, Regal Movies uh, is closing all of their theaters. I think it's over 500 of their theaters nationwide after James Bond movie was shelved until 2021. And then you also have um, the airlines that are in flux uh, and some, some other businesses in flux, but then you also have some businesses that are thriving during this, during this pandemic. What's sticking out to you right now, um, just kind of from a business standpoint in the uh, kind of American landscape? Well, if, if, if we want to live in a society, you know, it's, we live, it's very interesting. It's like, you hear people cry out socialism, cry out certain things and strict capitalism, right? Something like this happens. It's like the people who adjust to the new, new business or new landscape are the people who are supposed to survive. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But it's very different when you take into account the scale of some of these organizations and how much, how important it is to keep people employed. Mm -hmm. Right. You're not just going to replace the 26,000 jobs that Disney just cut mm -hmm. or the 32,000 jobs that the airlines are cutting mm -hmm. or millions of people that are unemployed because to have a productive society and to have a safe society and to have a consumption based society, people have to have jobs. People have to have money. People That's why the stimulus thing is so important. People have to have benefits. Mm -hmm. And so from that perspective, yes, when Regal Cinema shuts down 500 some theaters, yeah, you can say, well, you know, um, they need to adjust. The, the landscape was changing anyways. People were watching more Netflix. You can say all those things. Mm -hmm. But the truth was they had 546 theaters, 546 people who probably owned the buildings that they were leasing now that aren't going to get that. It's almost impossible. How are you going to replace a movie theater? Movie theater, what tenant are you going to bring in to replace mm -hmm. that? Mm -hmm. You have all the employees that they employed that now that were probably making 10 to $15 an hour who really needed this money that don't have their money. Whoever had benefits, they don't have benefits anymore. So this is why you, you hit the nail on the head. The stimulus matters and why do, do, Trump getting COVID is a huge deal, right? But it's sad to see that him getting COVID has stopped the government from continuing to work to keep our system running and keep keeping people employed and kicking in a stimulus, making sure the airlines furloughed October 1st. They've they're all their employees are already furloughed. Yeah. Disney already laid off 26,000 people at one right. time. Right. To not think about the collateral damage that's going to come from that. Yeah. Not think long term and not think about this is this is bad for the that's why it's it's annoying when I keep hearing people talk, uh and, and Trump and other people talk stock market, stock market, it's like listen, and this this economy and stock market are not the same thing. People can make money in the stock market and the economy can and unemployment can be the highest it's ever been. Like okay. it's not those things are not the same. Uh, let's address actually address the real issues. Like you said, we haven't even seen the collateral damage that's gonna come from this shit yet. And it's going to yeah. get fucking ugly. Like, it's let's just be honest. It's going to get ugly, even with a stimulus. So you can only imagine what it's going to be like without a stimulus. Because part of this is also hope. It's it's the money is, is part of it, but it's also hope. For example, someone told me about someone that just lost their job kind of in, in, in sports journalism. And that person just had, they, they, they're defeated. They don't feel like they have any, uh, any opportunity to kind of gain employment because they just don't have hope of what's going on in that industry. 
And to me, that's almost more important in a lot of ways than than him actually losing his job. If he felt like, listen, yeah, I lost my job, but I can go get another one, then that's that's valuable. And but the problem is that a lot of people aren't going to feel that way, you know. And the opportunities may exist, but they may not know about them, or they may not feel hopeful about them. And one of the things that stimulus provides is that is is hope that first of all, okay, I can get through the next month or the next two months, and also that there is someone who I've supported and pay taxes to a government that will have my back during this period of time. And you brought um, up the key point is that anybody who has a job is paying a significant portion of their income to taxes. Mm-hmm. They're not necessarily asking for a free handout. Right. They're paying for the government to help them when times like this happen mm-hmm. and situations like this happen that there's a responsible party that is going to step in and make sure the entire system survives so that we can go back to normal. Absolutely. Um, yeah. That, and that, that's, and that's the thing. And so that's why, you know, there, there's talks are ramping up and, and hopefully they get something done soon. But like you said, the collateral damage from, for all these people being furloughed uh, for people just straight out being laid off um, and there being no stimulus, uh, not on top of the fact that there's an election coming and there's polar, the, the country's already like divided and then the angst that comes with, excuse me, being unemployed and not necessarily having hope. I mean, this is a recipe for disaster. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's, 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 I mean, know. it's, it's, and, and then also just the numbers are very basic. 70% mm-hmm. of our economy is based on consumption, mm-hmm. 70%. Yeah. And the people who have a, the, the, the top 3%, they're not cons- they're not the ones that are driving Mm-mm. the majority of the 70% of that consumption. Oh. It is the people who are living paycheck to paycheck yeah. who are driving that consumer economy. Absolutely. So, and that's the other part of it is it's it's what's best for the way our system is structured. We can have the philosophical debate about what's right and what's wrong. Mm-hmm. The truth is that's how our our economy operates. Consumption, human beings going and buying things. Yep. And when you take away their jobs, and you take away any any funds when they can't get jobs, then the entire system will collapse. And, I'll, and that's all the other thing too about the stimulus. It's not just for individuals; it's also for businesses to keep yes. their businesses afloat and keep jobs to keep jobs afloat. So hopefully they get that done soon. Let's let's uh, transition to NFL before we get out of out of news and notes. There, there's a, a bunch of NFL stories. First of all, shout out to the Browns who beat the Cowboys, the new America's team of the Browns. <laughs> And um, Jarvis Landry for quarterback, Jarvis Landry, Landry. you have uh, Cam Newton that had the coronavirus and they, they, um, and you know, so he didn't get to play against the chiefs, which is annoying because that's a good matchup we wanted to see from a football standpoint. And hopefully he's okay. Health wise. Um, You have the Titans that had coronavirus cases. So they had to shut down their game against the Steelers. Uh, You have the Texans struggling and then Bill O'Brien being fired. Uh, You have freaking Matt Patricia coming out saying that, you know, or he inherited a mess or essentially, um, and now he's trying to fix it and him getting just raked through the coals by a lot of people saying, what? Jim Caldwell was like nine and seven, nine and seven, 11 yeah. and five. Like, what are you talking? He didn't inherit a mess. Um, and then you have the, the Packers playing unbelievable football, Aaron Rodgers looking like Aaron Rodgers, uh, just, unbe- you know, just four and oh, and looking like they're not going to be stopped. And then the Falcons, you know, oh, and four and just looking exact opposite. What are some of the some of the things that stuck out to you about the NFL right now? I mean, we have to enjoy what we can while we can, right? Mm-hmm. Like there was a anybody who 
plays fantasy football, anybody who watches football, anyone who bets on football, this weekend was very stressful for a lot of people who mm-hmm. invest a lot of time into this game and to, to, into this sport. Right? right. I think it's very healthy for all of us to step back because I don't, it's easy to say, oh yeah, you shouldn't care about football as much as you do. Mm-hmm. But I, it's, it's very clear if you look at how much money is spent in betting, how much money is spent in watching this, this sport that people really, really are attached to this thing mm-hmm. in a, in a deeply emotional way. Um, so I think it is healthy for all of us to actually accept the reality that the season could be get cut short, mm-hmm. that we could have all kinds of interruptions that we could have all kinds of issues going on. Um, that may cut the season short and and may change our expectations. As a Browns fan, it would be so typical, right? We're finally good. Right. And they cut they cut the season short. Well, the so, thing that bothers me real quick, the thing that bothers me the most about that is that the NFL be, is behaving behaved and is behaving very arrogantly. Yes. Uh, and just and just stupid about about this virus because they didn't even the way they did their scheduling, they didn't build in like multiple, you know, first of all, it should have been a reduced schedule, probably 12 games. Reduced travel. Reduced travel. Um, you know, 12 games, so you have a number of bye weeks that can, that can, you know, fit games if games get postponed. They didn't build themselves in a lot of leeway at all. So theoretically, I mean, this season, if this season is to continue like this and games are getting postponed and canceled and whatever, I mean, this could go into March, April. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, and then they don't create any type of local bubbles or anything like that. Like, they, it's it's almost like they just... Like, okay, you guys follow these protocols and, you know, if you don't, you'll get yeah. fined. And it's like, okay, well, people are still going to get the virus, you know? And, and Yeah. yeah. And, and what's sad, I, I, to piggyback what you're saying, what's sad about this is that the NFL has access to more resources than any of these leagues. They're the mm-hmm. most profitable league. For them to approach this as arrogantly, I mean, you and I talked about it when the protocols first came out. You're going to just let guys go home every day and have – unrestricted access to their families and to society and public and expect to, to have a season. They're like, Oh, we don't know. It's not that you didn't want to restrict. You wanted to, you didn't want to restrict your players because you clearly want to restrict your players when mm-hmm. it comes to expressing themselves in any other real human right. way. Right. But you want to, re- you don't want to restrict their, their movement. No, this is very simple. Like, mm-hmm. and when you understand that it's, it's, it's simpler than what people are, are trying to act like it, it, it could be like, obviously there was a risk no matter what mm-hmm. with the contact and all the things that we've talked about at length about what makes football different than the other sports. Mm-hmm. But there's also a fact that we know what happens the night before a home game for every team in the NFL. Where do they go? Hotel. The team hotel, mm-hmm. right? Where all a hotel where they can house all of the players, all of the coaching staff and all of the, what I would call essential employees, mm-hmm. right? And they're saying, well, we can't restrict guys for four months or 16 weeks. They had the option to opt out. You, If you really want to have a season and football, making sure the season is completed, everybody is going to have to make concessions. Mm-hmm. Yes, what happens to the guys' families? You can have socially distanced, restricted visits between players and their families once a week or twice a week. You know, there are things that you can do. I hate the, oh, this is too big of a problem. Let's not even try. Let's just let's just do the bare minimum. That's unacceptable mm-hmm. to me. Yeah. They're putting their play. I mean, I feel like they're liable for the risk that they're putting their players 
at, and then it also like what this this stupid like finding coaches a hundred thousand dollars for not wearing that's that's lip service right? yeah it's like you're yeah. lying you're trying to line your own pockets when you know all none of the players are wearing masks nobody right. like right what what is what is the nfl doing and it's I, like it's like so, they so for me themselves. It, it's crazy like you said and i think you said at the beginning we just kind of got to enjoy whatever it is that we get and obviously yeah. hope that anybody who contracts the virus or anything through this is safe and healthy um so let's talk i guess let's just talk about that That's since we are getting something what 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 do you see from a football standpoint who is who's standing out do you think the browns are for real first of all um and what do you think about the rest of the landscape of the nfl I had I had my doubts about Kevin Stefanski, mm-hmm. um, but now I know why the guy went to 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 UPenn for college. Mm-hmm. Pretty smart guy, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Like right. what Eric Metcalf said is true. When you yeah. have the type of offensive line we have mm-hmm. and the type of running backs that we have, mm-hmm. simplify everything. Just yep. run the run the freaking ball. Yeah, and and if we we may finish eight and eight, we may finish nine and seven. But we're going to be a competitive team. We mm-hmm. might finish you at ten and six. Yeah, make the playoffs. But that is a great way to remain competitive, um, and, and and I really do respect. Um, he's earning my respect as a football coach and as and, as a leader. And, as a leader. Yeah. Um, so that's what I'll say about the Browns. I still do have concerns about what happens. I was very nervous when mm-hmm. the Cowboys came back about. What actually happens when we need to put rely on Baker Mayfield mm-hmm. to make plays, you know, and that could be next year's step or the mm-hmm. year after. Mm-hmm. But what fans have to see is that from where we're at to where we're at now, like I think there was a stat that said that um, who is that guy that coached us? Hugh, uh, Hugh, Hugh Jackson, Hugh Jackson won four games and, and, um, in, in 40 games or something like that, mm-hmm. <laughs> three games and 40 games. And in past and, years, the Browns would be one in three this year, you know? Yes. And, and it, it's, it's, and even after we lost Nick Chubb, mm-hmm. just kept going. It's where the system, Dearness Johnson came in. Mm-hmm. So I'm very happy with where we're at. Then Odell time. stepped up too, and they figured out creative ways to get him involved in the game, which I like, you know, I mean, um, Odell, and I said this on Twitter, he is, he is a generational type of athlete. Like he is, yeah. he's, that dude could have been an Olympian in track. He could have been a, a soccer player. He could have probably been a basketball player. I mean, he's he's yeah. he's one of a kind. And, and if he can, if you can can keep his head in the game, and he can stay healthy, that that dude is. I mean, he's a game breaker. Look what he that that last run yeah. that he made was just. I mean, there's like two people in the NFL that can do that. Yeah. You know, um, and so that's the other thing too is that they've figured out a way to. They're figuring out ways to creatively get him involved as well. One last thing that I'll say about. Stefanski and why he's why he's earning my respect is that instead of even addressing or making this thing a narrative about Baker Mayfield, we're now talking about the Browns. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not about what Baker did or didn't do. Every right. week. we're talking about the team, right? And and implicitly, if you see how he's using Odell, he's like our quarterback is not getting the ball to Odell as a receiver the way that we would hope him to. Yeah. Let's make it easier. Let's get him the ball in different ways and and figure out other ways to use him and take that pressure off of our quarterback versus trying to put him in a position, trying to make him something that he's not too early. Yeah. And quick roundup just in terms of MVP. I mean, Josh Allen, Russell Wilson, 
I mean, Tom Brady is going to end up being in that conversation. Mahomes, Mahomes Aaron Rodgers. I mean, the quarterback play uh, is is. I mean, I may even be forgetting somebody, some people, but the quarterback play at the top of the league right now is amazing. Um, and so that's Aaron something Rodgers, that, yep. yeah, that's something to look forward I mean, to. We got to talk. We do have to talk about what's going on in Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think the MVP race is obviously going to go down to the wire. I mean, at this point, if Russell Wilson keeps playing it the way he is, he deserves it just as almost like a lifetime achievement mm-hmm. at this time because he's he's earned an NFL MVP, right? Mm-hmm. How he's played consistently. Mm-hmm. Even the naysayers who I was early on in his career, I can't say anything about Russell Wilson as a football player mm-hmm. anymore. Mm-hmm. So hopefully he does. But you know, let's 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 last things that we'll talk about are what has happened in Houston with Bill O'Brien's fire. Yeah, he's fired. But when we talk about collateral damage, how do you, how do you make up for as an organization? You gutted your whole team before you fired him. And then you have no draft picks. Like, what do you got? Like the writing has been on the wall. This is it's that's almost like, so, why didn't you keep him? Yeah. <laughs> right. Like what, what, what were you expecting to happen? I don't know what you're expecting to happen. You gutted your whole team. You got rid of all your top players. You know, you gave Deshaun Watson nothing. You gave Bill O'Brien unprecedented amounts of power beyond just the coach. He was also the GM. He didn't do anything that showed you any type of confidence that, that, that he was building something that was a winner. And then you just get rid of the guy after losing four games. It's like, that's just complete incompetence from the top down. You know, I'm happy for these guys, the, the guys on the team, because there's probably a certain amount of liberation that they feel. I know there is. Yeah. Um, but I don't know what, what can you do now? You like what? You, what yeah. coach who is really, really knows his shit? Like they keep saying, Eric Bieniemy, someone who's had to fight and claw to earn an opportunity. I feel like if he takes this job, he's putting himself in position to lose and potentially compromise the rest of his career. Well, I think he would like this job because of Deshaun Watson, you know. Yeah. And that's the thing: Deshaun Watson can help you mask a lot, a lot of shit, you know. Um, not everything, obviously, but he can help you mask a lot of things. So. They, that alone will make the job attractive to to certain people. Yeah. If you can go coach Deshaun Watson, you know, yeah. and you got some pieces there. David Johnson is there. Will Fuller, if he can stay healthy, and Brandon Cooks can stay healthy. Those are competent receivers. You have you have something that you can do. Um, so we'll see we'll see what happens there. Cowboys, but. Cowboys, Mike McCarthy. What's what's going on with that team? You know, defense man. They have injuries. Their defense. I mean, their their offense can put up points. They have a lot of talent on offense. CD Lamb is a star. Amari, Zeke, Michael Gallup, you know, uh, Schultz, they, they, they got, they have the offensive talent defensively. It doesn't seem like they can stop anybody. So, um, so yeah, we'll see. And, and it goes back to like what we, the conversations we were having about Mike McCarthy getting this job mm-hmm. and, and how, if you look at his tenure in green Bay, this Cowboys team looks just like it. It's like, yeah. they can put up a lot of points. But it's not just the defense that I think is the problem. It's mm-hmm. like he's never good at establishing. You have Ezekiel Elliott, mm-hmm. one of the best offensive lines in football. Yeah. The guy's got to get 20 to 25 touches Period. every single game. Mm-hmm. Like we're th- this wide open offense, and that puts your d- defense, when they talk about that is strictly carries over yeah. on the defensive side of the ball. If they're scoring quickly and they're throwing deep bombs all over the place, you know, I just don't think I think Mike McCarthy is a good coordinator, but I just don't think that that was the right hire for this job because their defense was actually decent last year. Well, the good news for them is the NFC East is a complete yeah. shit show. I mean, you can, can probably win six, six games. Yeah. 
<laughs> that would be so funny, but it really is like that tie that the Eagles took may end up being genius for them ultimately down the road. They might be like, you know, six, nine, and one or whatever it is. And when it looks like it looks like the Eagles are probably the best team of the worst teams in the NFL, but you know. They have a ton of injuries too. I don't know how they're gonna they're gonna over and they got uh, they had a bunch more even this past weekend. So, you know, that that health is and we talked about this earlier in the season, health is gonna be a lot of what ends up determining who ends up standing at the end. Uh, yeah. We'll see what happens. It's it's wide open, and and this is one thing we love about the NFL is that each year it's it's unpredictable, right? We're seeing comp- a competitive league, a balanced league. We don't know how good Buffalo is yet. Right. They're going to really threaten Patrick Mahomes and Kansas City, but there's just new. I feel like it's just like we get new storylines every year in the NFL, mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. you know we've bashed it a lot early on in the show, so. Let's give it some credit in the sense that at least they, they give us a good competitive product. Right. All right. That's all we have for news and notes. Listen to the Pilot Boys podcast. Ondo Media here in Columbus has been working with us to keep the Pilot Boys in production during the pandemic, as well as getting our YouTube videos going. It's all about telling your story to your audience. So give John at Ondo Media a shout. You can find all of their media consulting at ondomedia.com. That's all we have for today's show. Big thanks to our guest, Zach Smith. Thanks to everybody for listening. Don't forget, sharing is caring. Subscribe to the Pilot Boys podcast on Apple, Spotify, Patreon, and YouTube. And please follow us on social media at Pilot Boys Pod on Twitter and at Pilot Boys Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. And follow the hosts on Twitter. I am at Mechadon Music and V is at Viswant. And don't forget to grab some Pilot Boys wristbands and face masks at shop.pilotboys.com. Always remember, be you. You is fly. Pilot boys out. Pilot boys, we get on up.